Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. Hopefully you notice a little better sound quality, and that's because I recently upgraded my recording equipment, so hopefully uh, going to be a lot better uh, sound from, from here on out. And still fiddle farting around with the uh, recording equipment, so like I said, I might still need to do some experimentation here and there, but anyways, on to today's topic. So joining me today is my son, Alan. How are you doing today, Alan? Hi. And today we're going to be talking about a mobile phone game, and that is Final Fantasy Record Keeper. It's a game that I've actually been playing since close to the beginning. I didn't quite uh, start right when it came out, but uh, if anyone else out there has played Final Fantasy Record Keeper, I started early enough to get uh, Tidus from Final Fantasy X and the core warrior class who looks like the warrior guy from Final Fantasy One or the fighter. I was able to get them as a pre-order bonus characters, so... And my son here, he started, do you remember approximately what month you started? So I joined at about the third anniversary New Year's festival. Yeah, he, you actually started, that's, you actually started a little bit before then because uh, they had a collaborative event with Disney where they did an event for uh, for Kingdom Hearts, and I know you started at the tail end of that. You were just in time to get the Keyblade as a free bonus item. So, what made you interested in learning about or starting to play uh, Final Fantasy Record Keeper? Well, I wanted to try it because, to be honest, I wanted uh, something to do on my phone, phone, and I saw Dad playing it, and I decided to uh, join. Yeah, and it's it's one of those games where, again, free to play, but of course it offers ample opportunities for in-app purchases. So, of course, something you got to be very careful with. I don't know, do you remember when you made a $100 in-app purchase on an old my old iPhone? You may have been a little too young, but... I, I still somewhat remember that, and yeah, that's why... We have refunds, and that's why having codes for pays is important. Yes, uh, very important security function for your phone, because I remember when I first got my first iPhone, I like three iPhones ago, I don't remember exactly which model it was, but I downloaded this game called Tiny Zoo, and I remember, you know, you were playing it, you know, you think, thought it looked interesting and I thought it was okay just a little fun game for a I don't remember if you were like six at the five or six at maybe actually maybe you were four I don't know you were like four or five years old at the time and I remember all of a sudden looking at and you had a large number of coins and it turned out you made a $100 in-app purchase because uh, at this time I wasn't really familiar with uh, the security settings I'm sorry that's okay I managed to, uh, you know, I contacted Apple and explained the situation, and they gave me a one-time refund, and they also gave me the uh, some information on how to 
you know, make it so it doesn't happen again and you have to enter a password to do in-app purchases. So, yes, for any parents out there, if you've got young children and you want to let them play around on your iPhone, uh, make sure you check into that feature because that'll save you a lot of money. And also check and make sure the game does not have in-app purchases. But maybe maybe in a later podcast topic I'll talk about just a game that I remember from playing in elementary school and and um, bad memories and stuff that happened in it. What game was that? Prodigy. Um, it was a s- educational game for schools, but I would talk about that more at a later time. I don't even remember that game, so... But anyways, yeah, that's neither here nor there. So we're going to be talking about Final Fantasy Record Keeper in just a moment. So, But first, just a quick announcement. Welcome to Bone Throwers Theater. Nah, it's not that kind of show. It's an RPG actual play podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined by our fun-loving cast. This is Aaron. Jeff here. Johnny is my name. And I'm Jeremy. And what we do is dive in and play various tabletop RPG systems and games, such as Mini 6, Fiasco, Inspectors, Monster of the Week, Fate, and more. But no matter the rule set or setting, some pretty intense storytelling hits the fan. So whether you like epic fantasy, adventure, comedy, sci-fi, horror, or just horrifically bad puns, we've got something to feast your imagination on. Listen to our full episodes and more at BoneThrowersTheater.com. And may the bones fall ever in your favor. And we're back. So the general plot behind Final Fantasy Record Keeper is it takes place in a kingdom where uh, they have historical records that are these paintings depicting the you know various uh, events, important events from fi- uh, the different Final Fantasy games. And I think when they first started, they only had realms for like three through seven, and then they also had ten, uh, and then they eventually introduced more realms. Uh, where right now they're up through, they have Final Fantasy 1 through 15, Tactics, uh, Final Fantasy Beyond, which is kind of like the, you know, a lot of the, like World of Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Dimensions, uh, Type Zero. So they've added it as new games have been released. So that's pretty cool. But anyways, one of these, one of one day the royal historians realize that these paintings are turning black. So you take the role of a character named Tyro and Dr. Mog sends him into the paintings and he has to uh, complete dungeons by doing different battles. And each time he does that, the painting goes from black to it's back to its normal, uh, you know, normal state. And they start out with Final Fantasy VII, which I think was a pretty simple choice on their part because it's one of their most popular games but the problem is is that you only get to do the first attack the mako reactor one attack and the mako reactor five attack and it's a really long pause until you actually start going back to more seven dungeons and when you return you've all of a sudden all the way you're now going through the midgar highway segment so you jump to right after the the sector, the mid Mako Reactor Five attack, all the way to Midgar Highway. Yeah, the, it skips around a little bit there because what happens is, in order to unlock the progress of the stories, 
it's like you don't you can't do like okay that part of Final Fantasy VII to that part to that part. It's like they'll give you two or three dungeons and then you have to beat a few more dungeons before you unlock the next part of the story progression from Final Fantasy, you know, whatever. And so far from what I can tell, they're pretty accurate to how the stories go on the games. So I personally think it's an interesting idea because it implies that all the Final Fantasy games have this single shared universe. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, there is actually some canon theories about some universes being connected, but I'm going to say that overall I do like it. One thing I did notice is that quite a bit of the final bosses are not present. Like, at this point in the game, I've beaten, like, the one and two realms, and the final bosses in that game are, for Final Fantasy 1, you Tiamat is the final boss, which is the... Uh, the Wind Fiend, and for two, the f- the final boss for that game is King Behemoth now. Yeah, because they have had several special events where you get to fight Chaos and the Emperor. Because uh, again, so far for the different games, they haven't done the final boss in the story modes. Instead, like I said, they have special events they do. So, would you say that Playing this game has gotten you interested in checking out the various other Final Fantasy games. Yeah. So what are some of the other Final Fantasy games you've checked out after playing this? So I have, I got Final Fantasy 7, 3, and 15 on my computer. I've been, I'm currently playing through 5 on the Game Boy Advance port. I'm also playing through 1 and 2 on the Game Boy Advance port too. Currently just trying to play 4 too, but one thing I've noticed is that 3 is the only game in the classic series not to be released on Game Boy Advance. Yeah, they did make a version of it for the DS. I haven't played it, but supposedly the... Because I think Pro Jared, he did an episode about Final Fantasy 3, and he was saying that the the Steam version... I is I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he said that the Steam version is actually the best of the... The different versions. Yeah, like the thing that I don't get why 3 wouldn't work on the Game Boy Advance is three is if they were able to fit 5s, if they could have used a similar engine to 5 because they have a really complex job system in that where you can mix and match various abilities. For example, oh, here's an example in the game. You know, there's two classes in the game called Black Mage, which is obvious, and Blue Mage, which is... Warriors, magic users that are also physical that can learn enemy attacks. So in my playthrough, I used Ferris as a blue mage, but I also gave her access to black magic. So she's mostly a magic caster that can also, that's similar to a red mage. It's just with blue and black abilities. Yeah, because the way they do the different characters in Record Keeper, they pretty much pigeonhole them into a specific role. Uh, for example, the first one is physical attack. So that would be characters like uh, Sabin from Final Fantasy VI or Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, again, primarily they focus on dealing lots of physical damage or, well, magic users can do DPS too. I, I know that's one of those gaming terms that has been kicked around a lot lately. But so you have your physical attack, then you have your physical defense, which is characters like Edgar and Paladin Cecil. 
which those are both the best defense users in the game. Yeah, so physical defense, they usually use knight abilities that direct attacks to them. Uh, then you've got physical, physical support. Speed. Yep, physical speed. So Which, that would... to be honest, physical speed isn't the most useful class in my opinion, as it's just I don't really have a use for it. It's just fast characters, and every game at least has a fast character. I I didn't look at it, but yeah, physical speed is that one class where it doesn't really matter if you have it in your in your build in your setup. Yeah, the physical speed characters, usually they focus on a type of ability called celerity. And thief and stuff yep. like that. Usually thieving abilities where you can like steal stats or steal life from your opponents. And then, again, the celerity, that's stuff that is designed to uh, usually either slow down the opponent or speed up the character. Uh, then you've got physical support. These are ones like... Well, like Ramza from Final Fantasy Tactics, they have as a support character. Uh, Ferris from Final Fantasy V is physical support. Uh, for some reason, they made Setzer from Final Fantasy VI a support character, too. So they focus mostly on debuffing the the enemy, though some of them have abilities that either Boom. buff themselves or some can buff the party. Yeah, and I... We'll say that if we were going to go more in depth, I would talk about some of the more abilities in the game, but that would be more like an ability rating. So then after physical support, the there's... The physicals, and then yep, there's the magicals. Yep, there's physical magic hybrid. So these are characters that, depending on how you equip them, they can usually do pretty well as either a physical character or a magical character. Like, Salis and Terra from Final Fantasy VI are both good examples of physical, or of um, uh, magic physical hybrids. The character Tyro that they made for the game, he is probably the biggest Gary Stu character out there. Because he can use any type of armor, almost every type of equipment. The Except... Keyblades. Yeah, right now they've only have two characters that can use Keyblades. Sora and Riku, and those are the only two Kingdom Hearts characters. So far, and I mean, I'm sure that they're probably going to do another Kingdom Hearts event later on. Uh, but, and then I said he can use any ability as well. And we'll talk about abilities in a moment here. Uh, but then after that, there's Offensive Magic. So these are people that, are characters that focus on you know, heavy magical damage. So actually, I think Terra is defined as a offensive magic. But she can be more like, she should have been more like a magical physical hybrid. Like yeah, because she so can least. actually use some decent physical uh, skills. Let's see then who else is... um. Vivi from Final Fantasy IX is another offensive magic. Characters. Yeah. Uh, then there's healing magic. So these are ones that focus on your healing abilities and... Uh, debuff, you know, removing debuffs like Minwoo from Final Fantasy 2. Who is the best mind user. Or yep, he has the highest mind score. Uh, also, I can never pronounce her name, but from Final Fantasy 14, why Shatola? I always just call her Shatola. Yeah, or most, some people usually on the Record Keeper forums usually just uh, why. why they usually abbreviate her to. Uh, so the cat girl, she's a healer. And then finally, there's Master of Magic. So these are the ones that are usually very good with both white magic, summon magic, and uh, black magic as well. 
like, for example, uh, Fusoya and Tella from Final Fantasy IV are both masters of magic. Vanille from Final Fantasy XIII is a master of magic. So those are your different characters. And one of the things that's fun is just playing around with the different combinations. Because depending on the type of obstacle you're fighting, sometimes it's best to use uh, all physical. Sometimes it's best to go all magical. That's probably best used in the nightmare dungeons. And that's probably the best use of them. Yeah, and then a lot of times, I mean, a lot of people on the Record Keeper forum boards usually think it's a best to take in a, a combination approach. So unless you're having, of course, going against an enemy that's specifically immune to magic attacks, usually the suggested setup that most people recommend is two physical attackers, uh, physical support, a white mage, and a black mage. So each character, they get, of course, different types of equipment and different types of abilities You've got your physical abilities like combat, and which is just mostly heavy non-elemental damage. Uh, probably my favorite ability class is Spellblade, where you're inflicting elemental physical damage. What do you say your favorite ability is? To be honest, all the abilities have use besides some. Which ones do you think are useless? Um, I will say that, like, by the time you get to, like, the higher levels, one and two star, especially one, two, three star stuff is generally useless. Well, yeah, I mean, the, of course, there's different levels, uh, rarities, they call them, where it goes from one star and they've introduced six star abilities. And, again, depending, one of the things that can make a character useful or not very useful is it depends on what level... Uh, they can use of different abilities like Noctis, for example, from Final Fantasy 15. They give him three star black magic abilities, which is pretty useless on him. But it's accurate to the games because he can only really cast the ga level spells. Yeah, because he does use some black magic in the game. Uh, I don't know why they didn't give him summoning because technically he can be a summoner. Well, I think they're going to live more leave that to introduce to like I'm mostly guessing Luna Freya as they as as maybe she'll be like an offensive and black magic user. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. For Final Fantasy 15, the thing that really surprised me is Iggy. They didn't make Ignis a spellblade user cuz I mean, you look at his ability, the spell daggers he gets in the game, you would think that making him a spellblade user would be perfect. But they actually make, I think, his highest ability, like, thief abilities. Yeah, like, the thing I don't get is, first, Ignis and Noctis are prone to using jumping attacks, but Ignis only gets, like, three star, and I believe he cannot upgrade it to five, which meaning that the best abilities he gets is the elemental jumps. Yeah, these are the Dragoon abilities, because the most, several of the uh, different ability categories they have in the game are based on... Uh, some Classes. of the jobs, yeah, some of the jobs like Dragoon, Knight, Ninja, Monk, uh, Machinist. Now, I'd have to say one of the things that is really important about the game is they have a, something in there called Synergy, where if you take Cloud into, for example, Final Fantasy IV, he's just going to have his base statistics. But you take him into a Final Fantasy VII dungeon... He's going to be stronger, and he's going to have more hit points. Um, and then also the same thing applies with equipment. 
And I'd have to say, having played the game since near the beginning, you don't know how lucky you are. Because one of the biggest changes they made in the games has to do with the relic draws. So do you want to talk a little bit about relic draws? Sure. Okay, so, Dad, don't get in the way of this. Okay, okay. I'll just sit here and listen. I'll I'll let you tell you when you can talk about those. So, relic draws are probably the biggest part of the game. As you, when you collect a character, one of the first things you get to shown is their default soul break. Now, back then, during Al's era, default soul breaks was pretty much all they really had, and default soul breaks nowadays are pretty much all of them are worthless. Not all of them. Some of them are still useful, at least until you get better soul breaks. I mean, uh, Cecil... He actually has a, and some of the other knight type characters have a a default soul break called Rampart that improves the defense and resistance of the party by a small amount, which it's basically the poor man's Sentinel Grimoire. Yeah, very poor. Yeah, because one of the most sought after relics back in the early days, because uh, we often talk about the Holy Trinity, three types of soul breaks that you really want to be successful in the game. Uh, First is wall, so this is something that's going to improve the defense and uh, resistance of of everyone in the party. And that's, of course, helpful because you need these in order to tackle some of the tougher bosses. And then you usually want to have a boost ability, something that's going to improve the attack or magic of, or and or magic of the entire party. And then then there's the AoE heal soul breaks. Yes, because once you start getting into the tougher battles, just having single target healing isn't going to cut it anymore. As, Dad, but you interrupted me during the relics. Sorry. So, Continue. So, after that, they introduced unique soul breaks. These overall were, now I'm going to cover the walls, as there's four soul breaks that are walls. There's Tyro's Sentinel Grimoire and Shatola's as the uniques which are called which is sentinel's grimoire and stone skin these pretty much just raise your defense and resistance a large amount then there's the god wall being tyro's divine veil grimoire and then there's a little bit of a lesser useful wall but it's still a useful wall all not together paladin wall from paladin cecil you know i'm i'm starting to see why cecil is so viable in the game yeah, he's actually a very useful character, and... So there's quite a bit of... So after starting off with uniques, characters got uniques. Now, nowadays, uniques are near the point of worthlessness, as pretty much there's a mechanic where you master soul breaks after using the equipment that you get them on. And, but the problem is, is that they didn't give you any stat boost, unlike nowadays, where pretty much anything that's a super or above... It gives you a stat boost to that character's specialty. Now, supers are pretty much just better uniques. Then there's Legend Materia. Legend Materia relics give your characters a special type of materia that is exclusive to them, but buffs a certain attribute of them. You can also get it by the crystal, the, the by using the crystal grid, which uh, pretty much gives you more stat boosts and... Allows you to possibly unlock new abilities. 
Next, there's the Burst Soul Breaks. These are personally my favorite. Burst Soul Breaks are the first real thing. Those are pretty much make a character viable if you have one, except that the abilities are really bad. I'll let Dad talk about that. Yes, probably, because the way Burst Soul Breaks work, which is actually pretty cool, is when you use a Burst Soul Break, it'll either do like an attack or... In some cases, it'll do like an area of effect heal, but then it, it it makes your character enter burst mode. And what burst mode is, it replaces attack and defend with two different options. Like, for example, well, let's just use Y Satola from Final Fantasy XIV. Her burst soul break is Asylum. And what it does is when you first use it, it heals the entire party and then uh, restores a large amount of hit points but it also gives you a barrier that negates a certain amount of damage but in her burst mode her attack becomes an instant heal that restores a very large amount of hit points to one ally and then her defend option turns into a group heal which restores a small amount of hit points to everybody so those become really important as you start to tackle some of the larger battles. And I know I like bursts too because yeah. they're really helpful in prolonged battles. Oh, so dad. Now this subject is a bit uh, controversial and that's the worst burst soul break in the game. Now there's many different answers. Some people will say clouds first burst, which pretty much I've noticed that Pretty much Cloud's bursts always seem to involve him riding a motorcycle, it feels like, from from Advent Children and some of the and from the Midgar Highway segment from Seven. But pretty much his first burst was definitely proof of concept burst, as pretty much all it was was quad strike, which was pretty much four attacks to one enemy, just non elemental, and then one and two attacks to all enemies. And the second and another one candidate for that is Yuna's first burst on the Tiny Bee, which pretty much it's either two non-elemental holy attacks or a small AoE heal. Yeah, and they love Cloud in that game. Usually whenever they introduce a new type of soul break, usually Cloud is the first person to get it. The only exceptions so far are chain soul breaks, and these are actually very useful because... When you trigger a chain, and uh, Shantoto from Final Fantasy XI was the first character to get a chain soul break, in her case, lightning. And what it does is, when you have a chain activated, anytime someone else in the party uses a, an ability of that element type, it increases the chain, and that improves the damage of, the, uh, of their attacks. So... Like if you trigger a lightning chain and then someone else uses a lightning ability, it'll start to make the next lightning ability used stronger. So yeah, those are actually also they're introducing a new generation two chain, which in which normally it goes up to ninety nine for the first gen, but they're now slowly starting to introduce more chain gen two chains, which is one hundred and fifty attacks, which is overall pretty neat. Yeah, and then they also introduced. Uh, Overstrikes, which they were really neat when they first came out. Basically, it did one attack to an opponent that could go up to 99,999 damage. But to be honest, I'm just going to say, unless it's like one of those like 
paid draws. To be honest, I don't really care for overstrikes that much as, to be honest, it's just one attack that can break the damage cap and has a big damage multiplier. But buddy, Alan, do you know what's better than one attack that breaks the damage cap? Two. Or three or more, because of course then they introduced the arcane Arcane overstrikes. Yes, so these can go, like the first ones they introduced were actually with uh, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, like uh, Sora, he does three lightning, fire, and ice attacks. And that's another thing they introduced, which was actually very interesting, was the multi-elements. Mm-hmm. So let's say you've got, well, like Sora with his arcane overstrike where it does three physical lightning, ice, and fire attacks. The type of damage it does depends on what the enemy's weak against. So if the enemy absorbs fire, it'll do lightning or ice. If they're weak against lightning, then it does counts as lightning damage. So, And I'm going to say that our, some of them are just crazy. Like, for example, I believe Cloud Sonic Braver, where it's like 20 regular attacks and then one, like, like that's a fact. Like, how much hits does his second burst do? His second one does like, his second burst does like eight hits and then for the... Like, that's like, that's rough for about 20. That's like about... Oh, two and a half of Cloud's burst, second burst attacks, and then finishes off with his overstrike. Yeah, so they've, this is one of the, oh yes, Ultra Soul Breaks, we forgot about those, which they're actually very useful for healers, but because to be honest, usually, oh go ahead. I'm gonna just say that, yeah, Ultra Soul Breaks are definitely useful on healers and magic users, but I just feel like bursts are more useful as I know ultras hit more, but to be honest, it's like I'd rather enter burst mode than just leave off with the effects of ultras. The only other thing they do is grant you like in a special mode where uh, that's similar to burst, but it's only more of just stat based. Yeah, like uh, for example, with okay, trying to think of the um, what they call it, but like Titus. His uh, Ultra Soul Break, what it does is once he, and this is why some, you know, they're useful is, like when Tidus uses his Ultra Soul Break, he, it inc- improves his attack and his defense a little bit. But not only that, whenever he uses Sharpshooter abilities, then it triggers follow-up attacks. Another useful one is uh, Beatrix from Final Fantasy IX. In her case, what it does is it causes any Knight abilities you use to trigger follow-up attacks. So the, these Ultra, some people are saying that Ultra actually is the the best ones right now because they, when you enter those those modes, EX modes they call them, again, it, it's necessary to tackle some of the tougher bosses. And honestly, this is really one of the biggest criticisms a lot of people have about the game, and that is power creep. Because, like with Cloud, first they introduced his Buster Sword, and it was pretty cool. And then they introduced Hard Edge, which was even better. And then Organics, which was his first super. So that's one of the things that people complain about is if you haven't kept your equipment to a high enough level, then it, you're going to have a harder time on a lot of the... Uh... Yeah, and one thing I noticed is that eventually you start getting to the point in the game where like... Yeah, I, like when uh, this is starting to happen to me, where I pretty much end up stashing a lot of my super and unique equipment in the vault 
just because the burst legend materia and basically anything above is way better as the best five star equipment is legend materia and burst and pretty much i think overstrike still overstrike and arcane is actually a bit better than some ultra stuff but pretty much you want that six star equipment though chains don't really apply to this and this is one of the things that's actually an advantage that or change they made that was for the better see in order to get better equipment you need to store up mithril and you get mithril as a login bonus but not only that you also gain mithril uh for completing dungeons and events and then you use them to do different draws you know if you don't want to spend real money and with uh with mithril one of the types of draws you can do is a times 11 draw which means you get 10 items plus one additional one free which it used to be that you were not guaranteed five star or better equipment with a a times 11 draw but then they made a change a while ago where whenever you do a times 11 draw you're always guaranteed at least one piece of five star or better equipment you have no idea how much easier that made the game yeah i actually i even though dad says it i can understand why because like I cannot imagine trying to tackle bosses these days with, like, four-star equipment. Yeah, because there were times when I would do a times 11 draw, and all I got was all just three-star equipment. It's like, and once you get to a certain point, that equipment's just you totally useless to you. Like, that's the thing. It's like, oh, like, for example, if it, this feature was still around, I'm going to say that, oh, if this feature was still around to this day... To be honest, a lot of those three times relic draws for like the anniversary to guarantee you an item for that would be absolutely useless as you would probably only get like three three stars. Yeah, And that's, that's the thing I've also noticed is that because of the power creep, they're starting to get almost trying to get rid of like one and two star things as they're going to eventually improve the relic, the daily relic draw to make it where you get more three and four star stuff. And with because of that, that means that you pretty much will, um, that means that it's makes it easier to get five star. Now, yet now I can't to be honest. Uh, even if the you if the draw like only gets me like a unique, it's at least something. And heck, as long as you get a super or above, that can really help. Yeah, and another thing they introduced, they call it realms on parade, and this is what he was talking about where. Uh, it starts out, right now they have 15 tactics in Type 0 all bundled into one. And that, um, can I just explain the problem with that? Yes. So, to be honest, I feel like if they're going to do that, they should make it a, a bit more of a different relic draw that's a bit more gimmicky. But it's a 9 times relic draw, you're guaranteed 3 5 star, but it's from the Get Different Game series. As to be honest, Type Z Tactics is is probably the most complete out of them. And but the problem is, is that 15 and type zero are still incomplete. Like, I think like, like there's like, that's the thing. It's like, they still need, they're going to have a type zero event tonight, I believe. I don't think it's tonight. I think they're supposed to have a new type zero event uh, soon, but, but I'm going to say that for a lot, for the like 15 and type zero are very incomplete as like, yeah, they have characters, but they barely have any realm dungeons, so their synergy is not that useful unless you're doing, like, Crystal Tower stuff. Yeah, and that's another one of those things. And, again, we could go on, and this is one thing that I do have to give 
the company that makes it, uh, Dina. They're, again, partnership with Square. They actually, I have to give, this is where I have to give them credit. They are constantly introducing new challenges, which in a cell phone game like this that's free to play, you have to do that. Otherwise, people are going to get bored and stop playing. But they've also been pretty good about giving people the chances to get the equipment they need to complete these these higher, tougher challenges. Now, I have to say for me, my personal opinion, the secret to success of enjoying this game is really to be comfortable with what you can accomplish with what equipment you have. As I'm going to say that early on, your A-team is solely based off of the character or says you get. For example, let's say I'm doing the realms on parade and I get a particular soul break for, I don't know, give me a random character. Thunder God Sid. Okay, Orlando. So let's say I get Orlando's Ultra, which I think I actually got in like that. Yes, you have oh, oh you have you do have Orlando's Ultra. Yeah, I got that I think from the draw, uh like when I was first starting out. So that means that Orlando is would be a great candidate for my A team and considering he has the second best attack in the game, right behind Sephiroth to but I actually did a docu like a little paper about this. Maybe I'll do a, I'll probably do just a, like a singular podcast and with like that, but it's just, and maybe have dad, but I described on how they use Orlando and Sephiroth, and yeah, Sephiroth, despite having like one point better, I think that one point screwed him over of with his like variety of things he gets. So which character would you say is your favorite, whether it's because of the soul breaks you have for that character, or even if it's just not necessarily the soul breaks you have, but the types of abilities they can use. Well, I'm going to say this, that Tyro's arguably the... Well, I do like Tyro. He can pretty much function as anything. He's like a Swiss Army knife. He has plenty of utility. That's an interesting way to describe him. Yeah, it's like, do you need him? You need a magic caster? Use Tyro. Need an need a physical attacker? Use Tyro. Want to yeah. have a magical, magical physical hybrid? Use Tyro. Yeah, that's where Tyro's helpful. Is he again? He and can he has in how two walls. Him. Yeah, and also he has quite a bit of good soul breaks. It's just I have his Overstrike, which is actually pretty good as it increases all the base stats except mind. Like to be honest, the problem is is that I would have to sort of divide it into the categories for two physical attackers. Right now, I'm definitely going to say that I end up having a bunch of crap for Noctis, and I'm currently hunting for his super. The reason why is if that I do that, I fully have maxed out Noctis's attack stat, and he pretty much hits like a nuclear warhead then. And I'd have to say my character's favorite character is probably Bart's, uh, because I have a bunch of really good soul breaks for him. He is one of the best spellbladers in the game. So if you need to inflict physical, elemental damage on an opponent, usually uh, Bart's is the best one to have. Though um, though uh, Squall is actually another really good spellblader as well. Um, like, that's the thing. Like, my favorite healer, it's somewhat of a bit of a weird ground is, like, I... It's like weird, like it's weirdly tied between like healers. I have their ultras for. It's like the thing is, is that if you have too many heal good healers, like the best healer in the game is Min Woo. But the problem is, is that 
you pretty much need his ultra and his possibly his ultra to maybe be of any use. His healing ultra is like that's the thing. It's like Min Woo's his bursts are always have an offensive white magic attack rather than having just two white magic abilities. So all in all, what would you say is probably the thing that you like most about Record Keeper that keeps you playing the game? I just think it's just because it has so much content and it's Final Fantasy on the go. Yeah, that's it is fun to kind of play through these brief, abbreviated versions of different Final Fantasy games. But for me, I'd have to say one of the things that keeps me playing the game is I like the strategic aspect of it. Because especially when you start getting into some of the higher level fights, you really have to know how to use your soul breaks. And sometimes you can find soul breaks that work really well with each other. Uh, Like one of my favorite uses was uh, there is a Magicite boss you can fight Tiamat and she uses wind attacks and she's weak against ice. So one of my favorite tricks on her is to use snow from Final Fantasy Thirteen. Because you do his ultra, which reflects ice back at her. Or actually, what it does is it reflects damage back to the attacker as ice-based damage. But you also throw an ice chain in with that. It means it keeps getting stronger and keeps doing more damage as you throw damage back at her. So that's what I like about it. The strategy and the challenge of finding ways to creatively use your soul breaks. So, yeah, as maybe as a future series about Record Keeper, we could go about how to use characters and such. So with that said, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. And if you haven't had a chance, definitely check out Record Keeper if it sounds like a game that you think you might have uh, some fun with. It's like I said, it, yes, it is possible to spend money on it, but if you're not a real hardcore gamer and you don't feel the need to complete everything... You can actually, I think, still have a lot of fun with the game without spending a lot of money, and that's or even any money at all. And that's just because of a lot of the improvements they've made over the game with the game over the three plus years it's been around. So, with that said, thank you again for joining us, and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. Do you do a podcast about Dungeons & Dragons, role-playing games, video games, or other topics of geek interest? Would you like to cross-promote your podcast on geekery in general? Then drop us a line on our Facebook page at POI Game Studio or POI Network, or contact us through our website at POIGamestudio.com, and we'll set something up.